Waco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And for our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sanz talk about genetic engineering of salmon. That's coming up later in the program, but first your environmental headlines. A new study reveals that greater bird biodiversity brings greater joy to people, according to recent findings from the German Center for Integrative Biodiversity Research. In fact, scientists concluded that conservation is just as important for human well-being as financial security. The study, published in Ecological Economics, focused on European residents and determined that happiness correlated with a specific number of bird species. According to their findings, the happiest Europeans are those who can experience numerous different bird species in their daily life or who live in near-natural surroundings that are home to many species, says the lead author, Joel Methorst. In December 2019, two New Orleans environmental activists left a box of plastic pellets called nurdles on the front steps of the president of the Louisiana Chemical Association's home. Nurdles are what plastic objects are made of. The activist, member of the grassroots environmental group, Louisiana Bucket Brigade, collected the nurdles from Texas waters near the Formosa Plastics Plastics Factory. The activists were protesting a petrochemical plant that Formosa Plastics wants to build in St. James Parish, Louisiana. After the action, the two activists, Ann Rolfs and Kate McIntosh, were arrested. Rolfs received a charge of terrorizing, a felony punishable by up to 15 years in prison. McIntosh received a charge of principle to terrorizing. They were released on $5,000 bond each. A hazmat team deemed the box of Nurdles hazardous waste. Rachel Connor, an attorney for the two activists, said, quote, There's clear hypocrisy in labeling these plastic pellets hazardous material when they're left on someone's doorstep in a sealed container, but when they're dumped into the environment, they're treated as byproducts of a necessary industry, end quote. Connor went on to say that leaving the box was a protest against chemical pollution and therefore was protected by the First Amendment. This December, Baton Rouge prosecutors announced they weren't going to pursue criminal charges against the two women. President-elect Joe Biden has nominated Deb Holland, a Democratic representative from New Mexico, to be the new Secretary of the Interior. She becomes the first Native American ever to fill a cabinet position. 
Once confirmed, Representative Holland will bring valuable experience to the executive branch as both a legislator and an indigenous woman. A 35th generation New Mexican and a member of the Pueblo of Laguna tribe, she's already served in Congress on the House Natural Resources Committee overseeing the Department of the Interior. As a native person, she will bring a new perspective to the position, which is responsible for the federal government's relationship with tribal nations, including honoring its treaties with the indigenous people whose lands were appropriated by settler colonialism. The Interior Department upholds the federal government's responsibilities to the nation's 574 recognized Native American tribes and Alaska Native villages. It has a staff of about 70,000 people, which oversees one-fifth of the U.S. land, as well as 1.7 billion acres of the country's coasts. The department manages national parks, wildlife refuges, and other public lands, protecting biologically and culturally significant sites, and overseeing natural resource development. The Biden administration is expected to take a much different approach to natural resources than the Trump administration, which promoted fossil fuel extraction on federal lands above all other considerations. Holland observed, quote, Climate change is the challenge of our lifetime, and it's imperative that we invest in an equitable, renewable energy economy. End quote. New York State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli recently announced that New York State decided to divest its $225 billion pension fund, one of the world's largest such funds, from oil and gas companies. The New York State Common Retirement Fund has over $1 billion invested in ExxonMobil alone. The pension fund pledged to sell all its fossil fuel stocks in the next five years and all shares from companies that contribute to climate change by 2040. No other pension fund the size of New York's has made a portfolio-wide commitment to decarbonize by 2040 with interim targets. For the past eight years, shortly after Superstorm Sandy devastated New York, community activists calling themselves the Divest NY Coalition have been campaigning for New York State to divest from fossil fuels. The activists found themselves up against oil and gas bigwigs who had what seemed like unlimited funds to spend against the grassroots-based divestment movement. According to Stop the Money Pipeline, quote, the multiracial, multigenerational campaign coalitions collective belief and steadfast determination kept them going and sealed the historic 100% people-powered victory, end quote, which people organized, protested, marched, lobbied, and gave money to bring about. Human-elephant conflict poses major threats to the well-being of both humans and animals. Crop raiding by elephants across Asia and Africa can be devastating for small farmers, leading to food insecurity, lost opportunity costs, and even death. Crop raiding and property damage can also result in negative attitudes towards elephant conservation and retaliatory killings of elephants. 
Finding effective, inexpensive solutions has proven extremely difficult. Farmers guarding their lands at night lose sleep and put themselves in potentially close proximity to hungry elephants. Killing problem elephants is not only inhumane, it is also ineffective at reducing human-elephant conflict. Electric fences, while effective in theory, often fail in practice because they are costly and difficult to maintain. More recently, conservationists have explored the use of beehive fences as a humane and eco-friendly way to protect crops from elephants. Zoologist Lucy King of Save the Elephants told Mongabay the idea came from Kenyan farmers who noticed that elephants avoided foraging in trees that contained beehives. Hives are supported by posts and connected by wires so that pressure on the wire disturbs the nearby occupied hives along the fence. Thatched roofs protect the bees from direct sunlight. In the late 2000s, King and several Save the Elephants colleagues conducted a pilot study to determine if beehive fences could protect farms in Kenya. They placed locally constructed beehives on fence posts every 25 feet and connected them with wires. If an elephant tried to enter between the hives, it would knock into the wires, causing the hives to sway and disturbing the bees. In this study, the researchers found that elephant raids were reduced by almost half on a farm with a beehive fence compared to an unprotected farm. Currently, King and her colleagues at Save the Elephants are studying or implementing beehive fences for crop protection in 15 countries in Africa and four countries in Asia. The beehive fence concept has generated high levels of interest and acceptance among farmers in Africa and Asia. In Kenya, participating farms more than doubled over the course of field trials as farmers requested to join. And in Thailand, over 80% of cassava and sugarcane plantation owners reported that they were interested in trying beehive fences. In an era of extreme political polarization, opportunities for bipartisan efforts on climate change may seem impossible, but a recent introduction of rare climate legislation authored by Republican and Democratic senators could pioneer future agreements. Last Wednesday, U.S. Senators Mike Brown and Chris Coons, Democrat from Delaware, co-chairs of the bipartisan Senate Climate Solutions Caucus introduced the Trillion Trees and Natural Carbon Storage Act, a bill aimed at storing carbon, promoting sustainable management, and ending deforestation. Kuntz said this year's wildfires and storms are a reminder of how climate change is impacting our lands and a clear signal that we need to act now to protect them from future generations. Braun called the bill a common-sense proposal to help improve our land, water, soil, and air without imposing onerous Washington regulations. Nature-based climate proposals like the One Trillion Tree Initiative reflect an acknowledgement by some in the Republican Party of rising voter demand for action on climate change, even as it seeks to preserve the economic benefits of a historic drilling boom that has made the United States the world's biggest oil and gas producer, Reuters reported. 
inspired by a July 2019 study in science, the Trillion Trees and Natural Carbon Storage Act understands ecosystem restoration to be one of the most effective climate mitigation strategies. In April, in the remote district of Singrauli, India, a coal ash pond at the Sasan coal plant burst, creating a massive flood of coal ash that caused the deaths of six people. Despite calls for justice from local activists, the deaths have gone largely unnoticed in India and elsewhere. Months after the pond burst, ash continues to pollute the water and land. Even less scrutiny is applied to the role that the U.S. Export-Import Bank is playing in the continued operation of the plant. Five years ago, the bank provided Reliance Power with $917 million in long-term financing to construct and operate the plant, supporting exports of mining equipment from U.S. corporations. The bank has been notified repeatedly about negligence at the plant and the destruction it has wrought on local villagers and habitat. Five years ago, the bank's general inspector issued a report revealing 19 deaths at the facility. That report followed a 2014 report by the Sierra Club and non-governmental organizations that revealed forced resettlements, occupied houses bulldozed in the middle of the night, labor abuses including employees handling hazardous materials without protection, and extensive environmental contamination of the local community. Since the 2015 report, Monitoring reports have documented an additional eight deaths at Sasan, but the actual death count is almost certainly higher. Environmentalists are calling for the Export-Import Bank to sever its ties with Reliance Power and the Sasan coal plant and are demanding to hold Reliance accountable for the deaths, including paying reparations to the families of the dead. According to critics of the project, the bank has done little to address the abuses at the plant and its ongoing investment and involvement in it make it complicit in the recent disaster and any that might occur in the future. A groundbreaking international study has linked a potentially fatal skin disease in dolphins to the climate crisis, and scientists predict that it's only going to get worse. Dolphins around the world developed freshwater skin disease when influxes of freshwater drastically reduced the salinity of coastal waters, causing the cetacean's skin to take on water to the point of cells bursting, explained Padraig Tignan, chief pathologist at the Marine Mammal Center in Sausalito, California. Dignan and his fellow researchers identified the novel skin disease by focusing on two separate dolphin die-offs that happened in 2007 and 2009. Quote, they were having these die-offs in dolphins and we didn't know what they were, end quote, Dignan said. The researchers couldn't find a link to any disease that had been described in the literature before. Then they looked into the history and saw it's part of a pattern. Searching for underlying causes, Dignan and his co-authors examined the skin and lesions of dolphins who had died from this condition. They found that it was not a viral disease, one of the initial hypotheses. Access to long-term physico-chemical water quality data from permanent monitoring systems revealed a surprising culprit, fresh water. 
It turns out that exposure to fresh water causes devastating skin damage in dolphins because dolphins have evolved over millennia to live in marine environments. They cannot adapt to drastic changes to salinity. In 1998, the company Pegasus Gold filed for bankruptcy and abandoned the Zortman and Landusky gold mines in the Little Rocky Mountains in north-central Montana. Those gold mines devastated the land, including the Fort Belknap Native American Reservation, and polluted the water, including South Bighorn Creek on the reservation, with acid mine damage, and the damage will continue far into the future. Over $70 million have already been spent on reclamation, with at least $50 million of that coming from state and federal public funds. Those funds have been applied to installing cover systems and new vegetation on the massive piles of contaminated mine waste and to constructing an inexpensive water treatment system to intercept and treat the acid mine drainage from the mine, which threatens communities downstream. The U.S. Bureau of Land Management is proposing to withdraw those reclaimed public lands from new mining for 20 years to protect this important area and allow more time to continue the cleanup. A new report from Oxham found that the wealthiest 1% of the world produced a carbon footprint that was more than double that of the bottom 50% of the world, The Guardian reported. The study examined 25 years of carbon dioxide emissions and wealth inequality from 1990 to 2015. The findings reveal how current economic systems have created extreme carbon inequity and brought the planet to the brink of ecological collapse. It also provides a roadmap for governments around the world to create fairer, more sustainable economies. Quote, our current economic model has been an enabler of catastrophic climate change and equally catastrophic inequality, end quote. Former United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon said in the report. The analysis examined how wealth correlates with carbon emissions. It found that the richest 1%, about 63 million people, were responsible for 15% of carbon emissions. The wealthiest 5% were responsible for more than a third of carbon emissions growth over the 25-year time frame. The growth emissions from the top 1% amounted to three times the growth in emissions compared to the bottom 50%. Quote, The overconsumption of a wealthy minority is fueling the climate crisis, yet it is poor communities and young people who are paying the price. End quote. Tim Gore head of climate policy at Oxfam and author of the report, said in a press release, quote, Such extreme carbon inequality is a direct consequence of our government's decades-long pursuit of grossly unequal and carbon-intensive economic growth, end quote. Reuters reported that consumption from the world's wealthiest people had depleted the carbon budget to the point where there isn't much room for poorer countries to grow without worsening the climate crisis. In order to keep the planet from warming more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial times, poorer countries will need to develop 
renewable energy sources while the wealthiest people and nations will need to limit overconsumption, reported Reuters. The global carbon budget has been squandered to expand the consumption of the already rich rather than to improve humanity, end quote, Gore told The Guardian. The report noted that if emissions continue to go unchecked, the wealthy will use up the world's available carbon budget by 2030, even if the rest of the world slashed its emissions to zero today. Oxfam reported that transportation contribute about a quarter of current global emissions, citing SUVs as the second biggest contributing factor. Quote, Governments must curb emissions of the wealthy through taxes and bans on luxury carbon, such as SUVs and frequent flights. Revenues should be invested in public service and low-carbon sectors to create jobs and end poverty. End quote. Gore added. And now for our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sanz talk about the genetic engineering of salmon. A federal judge ruled that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration must complete an analysis of potential environmental consequences of genetically engineered salmon produced in Canada and raised in Indiana. U.S. District Judge Vince Chabria found that the FDA did not comply with the National Environmental Policy Act or the Endangered Species Act when it approved the application of Aquabounty Technologies' Aqua Advantage Salmon in 2015, the first time any government approved a commercially genetically engineered animal as food. Chabria said the agency did not adequately assess the risk of harm from the genetically engineered salmon, nor sufficiently considered the effect the salmon would have on endangered fish species if the salmon escaped into the wild. The FDA must now complete an analysis on the environmental consequences if genetically engineered salmon were to escape from Aquabounty facilities. The ruling also allows Aquabounty's facilities in Prince Edward Island, Canada and Albany, Indiana to continue to operate, despite the deficiencies in the FDA's approval. Aquabounty President and CEO Sylvia Wolf told the Indiana Environmental Reporter the company was disappointed with some of the conclusions reached in a decision, but remained confident in the robust scientific studies that resulted in the FDA's approval. In a written statement, she said, quote, This case did not call into question FDA's approval regarding the health and safety of our Aqua Advantage salmon. The focus of this decision was on the potential environmental impacts, and the judge confirmed the low threat to the environment of our salmon. We are committed to working with FDA on next steps and continue to evaluate the legal decision. The Coalition of Environmental, Consumer, and Commercial and Recreational Fishing Organizations that sued the FDA over the approval said the ruling reinforced the threat the genetically engineered salmon posed to natural fish. George Kimbrell, counsel for the case and legal director for the Center for Food Safety, said engineered fish offer nothing but unstudied risks. He said the absolute last thing our planet needs right now is another human-created crisis like escaped genetically engineered fish running amok. The Aqua Advantage salmon was created using the DNA from endangered Atlantic salmon, Chinook salmon, and ocean pout. The modifications allow the fish to grow about twice as fast as wild salmon. That growth rate allows Aquabounty to produce more fish for sale at a reduced time frame and cost compared to fish farms with non-engineered fish. The modified salmon's benefits are clear, but their effect on wild salmon, should they escape, has been studied far less. Past studies have urged biocontainment of genetically modified plants or animals, also known as transgenic organisms. Isolating them would prevent possible serious consequences that could affect or alter how native species live or reproduce, much like invasive plant and animal species. 
The FDA found that there was an extremely low likelihood that Aqua Advantage salmon could escape due to physical and biological containment measures undertaken by Aqua Bounty. The 122,000 square foot Aqua Bounty farm in Albany is capable of raising 1,200 metric tons of salmon each year. The company said the fish are contained in tanks with multiple redundant physical containment measures and are monitored 24 hours a day. The environment around the farm was found to be hostile to the long-term survival, dispersal, reproduction, and establishment of the genetically engineered salmon. The company also engineered the salmon to be female and effectively sterile. Although it sounds like Steven Spielberg's 1993 blockbuster Jurassic Park but with lower stakes, the threat of genetically engineered salmon entering the wild poses a biological and cultural threat to many around the country. Salmon are considered a keystone species, meaning they influence the survival or reproduction of many other animals and plants. Any change to salmon could cause ripples in the food chain. Aquabounty argues that genetically engineered salmon could reverse negative trends in overfishing and pollution caused by traditional fish farming methods. Wolf, Aquabounty's CEO, said genetically engineered food like Aqua Advantage salmon will be necessary to keep up with global food demand. The company said it takes its responsibilities as a technology pioneer very seriously. It's unclear when the FDA will complete the analysis. Aquabounty Technologies announced in October it would build a large-scale farm for its salmon in Mayfield, Kentucky, beginning in 2021. The facility will be about eight times larger than the farm in Albany. For Eco Report, I'm Patrick Callanan. And now for our events calendar. Learn all about natural resource management at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, January 9th from 10 to 11 a.m. Meet Wyatt at the Nature Center for a long stroll to a cool project site where he will share with you how he and the management team are entrusted with some of the finest resources in the state. Masks must be worn inside the Nature Center. A hidden cave hike will take place at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, January 9th from 1 to 1.30 p.m. Take a guided hike to an unknown cave on Spring Mill property. Meet at the Twin Caves parking lot. This is a short, easy, off-trail hike. You must wear a mask while inside the cave. Take a winter wildlife hike at Spring Mill State Park on Sunday, January 10th from 1 to 2 p.m. Meet Anthony at the Oak Ridge Shelter for an easy hike on Trail 7 to learn about the wildlife that call Spring Mill home and how they adapt to the cold winter months. Enjoy turtle feeding at Canyon Inn at McCormick's Creek State Park on Sunday, January 10th from 10.30 to 11 a.m. Meet Canyon Inn's resident red-eared slider turtle as he eats his weekly meal. Learn how this turtle fits into the ecosystem at McCormick's Creek State Park and why turtles do not make good pets. You must wear a mask inside the Canyon Inn. Brown County State Park is kicking off the 2021 Winter Hikes series with a hike to the boulder in the tree on Saturday January 16th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. This legendary hike will take you off trail and through fairly rugged landscape to see an unexplained marvel perching high in the treetops. Please register at phaulter at dnr.in.gov. 
And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report.